Hello, I'm Aaron Dorsey. I'm a friend of Pastor Justin's, and I'm really excited uh, to be sharing with you this morning. Before I even get started, uh, I just want to um, thank teachers of mine, uh, teachers from whom I'm really drawing a lot of this message, uh, people like Julie Tai and Dr. Cheryl Anderson and Dr. Ann Joe. Uh, it's a lot of their wisdom uh, that I'm sharing with you today. Today's message is going to have a lot to do with first learning how to listen, how to be honest with ourselves, how to listen to our own bodies and embrace our own voices. And then secondly, uh, how to speak honestly, beginning with how to speak honestly with God. Um, and then with the hopes that from there we can learn how to speak honestly and boldly with one another. Uh, it's also my hope that this message uh, is going to be timely, that's going to speak to you and encourage you, given the events of this week, uh, especially uh, given the women who were murdered this week in Atlanta. My hope is that um, God may have something to say to us, uh, to encourage us and, and to help us press, press on and press through this and, and to continue to press for justice and change. We arrived to the moment in the Lord's Prayer uh, that is, give us the bread that we need now. After reflecting on who God is and after reflecting on the nature of God's kingdom, Jesus instructs us to ask uh, for the bread that we need, the bread that is for today. And asking for bread immediately draws my mind back to the history of Israel, particularly to Israel's wanderings in the wilderness. By the point of our text today in Exodus 15 to 16, Israel has been in Egypt and they've been oppressed because of Egypt's xenophobic fear. And I think xenophobia is the correct word here because Egypt is afraid because Israel keeps growing and growing within their borders and they view them as this hostile other within their own borders. And so they respond by oppressing the people with hard forced labor, with slavery. And this is their xenophobic response to the other within their own borders. But God has heard Israel's groaning and has seen their oppression. And so I want to draw your attention to something before we even get to our main passage for today. In Exodus 2, uh, it, it reads, And it happened in those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites moaned from their servitude, and they cried out, and their cry for help went up to God from their servitude. And God heard their groan, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the Israelites, and God knew. In the beginning of Exodus, the, the people have actually forgotten who God is. Uh, they no longer know God's name. In Genesis, the matriarchs and the patriarchs knew who God was and, and prayed directly to God and created covenant with that God. But in Exodus, the people over the course of generations have actually forgotten who God is. And so it's, it's very clear when they groan, when they cry out, it's not even directed to God. It is just that they groan as if nobody was listening. But the text says that those prayers that those groanings make their way up to God and that God hears them and God receives them as prayer. And I think the point here that I want you to see is that God is listening to you before you even pray. Before you even direct your prayer to God, God hears you. God can hear when you sigh. God can see the tension that you hold in your body. 
God can hear your groan before you even know how to put it into words. You don't have to beg for God's attention. You don't need any elaborate steps to get God to take time and hear you. Even if you don't address God at all, God already hears your prayers of exasperation and your groans of suffering and even the silence of your grief. God attends to us and part of God's nature is to attend to people and to their suffering. That's part of who God is. It is not something that we need to coerce God to do. God is already paying attention to us. Yes, there are rituals that we do when we pray. We may kneel or we may close our eyes or we may walk or or anything else. We may put on music, but these are not ways of forcing God to hear us. They are actually for us. We may kneel because it helps us to get into a posture where we feel like we can listen or or in a posture of reverence, but it is not required for God to hear us or to know our struggles. God is already listening. And after God hears, God initiates a plan, both to judge Egypt for their cruelty against the Israelites and also to save and rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. Just before our text for today, Israel has made it to the far side of the Red Sea, and they've just finished celebrating their rescue from their oppressors. And this has got to be just a bizarre moment. I think that the range of emotions uh, when Israel arrives on the far side of the Red Sea has got to be all over the place. There were probably some people who immediately jumped into celebration, who were immediately singing, and then some people who were so dumbfounded, so struck that they probably were silent and didn't even know what to do. Because this, these are their first breaths as free people. This is their first time, their first time in their life that their life isn't being overdetermined by the policies and the oppression of Egypt against them. But we begin our story just three days later from this moment. The Israelites walk in to the wilderness of Shur, and they walk three days into the wilderness, but they have still not found water. And I want to pause here because this is going to be very important for us to understand what's happening in these stories. They were walking in the wilderness for three days without water. This is not uh, an inconvenience. This is a life or death situation. The human body can only actually survive in the desert for three days without water. And so this is a very grave situation, especially when you begin to think that their children and their elderly were likely with them too. They're vulnerable populations that can hardly sustain this trip to the first place. And they are there having not had anything to drink for for three days. This is a very grave situation. And then when they finally find water, it's bitter. Or what that really means is that it's undrinkable, it's it's unhealthy. And so the people complain to Moses. They say, what will we drink? And honestly, I I don't know why it's taken three days for this this to be said to Moses. Uh, It seems far too long to only just now be mentioning to Moses. But Moses intercedes to God and God directs Moses to some bark, to a tree. And Moses throws that into the bitter water and it makes it sweet or otherwise healthy to drink. I think the first thing to notice here is that this is not a miracle. There are long traditions in many cultures about how you interact with the world in order to uh, create situations of health for yourself, of what you can do with water to make it drinkable. And so God responds to Moses' need by directing them to something that already exists in creation. 
Rather than miraculously making the water good to drink, like say with the snap of a finger, God directs Moses to an action that will resolve his problem. The answer to our prayers, the answers uh, to, to our need for daily bread is not always going to be miraculous, or at least it's not always going to seem miraculous. The answer to our prayers may be the resources that already exist within the world. It may be the SNAPS program for a family that doesn't know how to feed or doesn't have, can't afford to feed itself. This doesn't make the provision of our needs any less divine. Rather, the divine works through the earthly world to provide for our needs. And even more, the answer to our prayers may involve our own action. The answer to Moses' prayer is to act, to do something. We can fall easily into a mode where we separate prayer from action. But the two actually lead into one another. Prayer leads to action. And our daily lives, our daily needs lead to prayer. The call to prayer then is not a call to passivity. Rather, it is the process through which we invite God into our lives, into our daily actions. It is the process through which God actually presses us and urges us to action, to doing the things that are going to lead to well-being. Or perhaps, uh, I, I think we sometimes come to this wrong conclusion that, um, that the only way that God acts is through something supernatural. This mode of thinking supports the idea that I can uh, just pray and say not wear a mask to avoid uh, being infected by a virus. Or it can lead uh, to, to the kind of idea I had uh, when I was a child. I thought that I could show up to a test having never studied, having not read the material, and maybe God would just download the information into my brain in some supernatural way and I would pass the test. I didn't. Uh, I think I probably had to retake that class. <laughs> um, Rather, the way that God works is often indistinguishable from what is already happening in creation. And actually, we work together with God to make the undrinkable drinkable. Not only do we flourish then, but all of creation flourishes with us. We work together with God to address injustices and to create conditions of justice. We work together with God to, to address situations that are harmful to human beings and to create peace and well-being and wholeness. We work together in these things. And that is part of our prayer and that is part of how God directs us in that. A little further along, Moses and the Israelites uh, make it to the wilderness of sin, uh, which doesn't have any relationship to our English word sin. But let me just reread some of this section. And the entire congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord when we sat by the pot for boiling meat and when we ate bread to fullness. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly by hunger. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I am raining down for you bread from heaven. Then God gives some instructions uh, to, the, to the Israelites to gather twice as much bread on one day, so that even in the wilderness, they would have a day of rest, a day where they did not need to go out and gather. A little further into the text, it, it continues, Moses and Aaron said, said to the Israelites, Evening you will know that the Lord brought you out from the land of Egypt. In morning, you will see the glory of the Lord. In his hearing, you're complaining against the Lord. For who 
are we that you complain against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and bread in the morning to fullness, when the Lord hears your complaining, when you complain against him, what are we? Not against us do you complain, but against the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the Israelites, Draw near before the Lord, for he has heard all your complaining. I hope that felt wrong to you. I hope that actually may have even made you a little bit uncomfortable. Because honestly, this passage, when I read it, Moses makes me viscerally upset. What Moses does here is what we call gaslighting. Moses responds to the real needs of the people as if they are trivial, as if they are frivolous. He gets mad and he repeatedly accuses the people of complaining. And again, complaining. These people are in the desert. Up to this point, there's no indication in the text that they have had anything to eat. And they are saying that we need to eat something. They're young and they're old, again, without anything to eat. This is not a complaint. This is a cry for help. This is life or death. For the past year and for, frankly, nearly 200 years of Asian American history in the United States, ever since the 1840s, when Americans fearing the end of African slavery began to contract Asians into indentured servitude, which is really no different than slavery, even then, the Americans had already began to create a model minority myth to pit African-American slaves against Asian-American indentured servants, all for the benefit of white Americans who were profiting from their labor and abusing the labor of both. Since the Anti-Chinese Hostility and Chinese Exclusion Act of the 1880s, since the lynching of Filipino workers in the 19th and 20th century, since the internment of Japanese peoples in the 1940s, since the Vietnam War and the Korean War, since the murder of Vincent Chin, since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, when anti-Asian rhetoric and anti-Asian violence began to explode within the U.S. and all the indignities suffered along the way, all of the other in questions, all of the racialized myths and stereotypes, the small actions that lead to death by a thousand cuts. From the beginning, Asian Americans have been saying, you are killing us. Since the beginning, they've been calling attention to how this is a life or death situation. But by and large, America has responded like Moses. And we have called the prayers of the people complaints rather than acknowledging their truth. Would somebody have had to die from starvation before Moses would have seen that the need was legitimate? Why did it take him so long to intercede in the first place when the people are going hungry? Moses is wrong. He's wrong here. And America has been wrong. They have minimized and gaslit the voices of Asian and Asian American and Pacific Islander peoples when they have simply been voicing their needs. You are not wrong when you voice your need. You are not wrong when you simply state the injustices that are occurring to you, to your family, to your communities. 
I don't know why Moses responded the way he did. I have witnessed so many leaders respond this way uh, with anger and with uh, defensiveness. Maybe they feel powerless and they get mad because they don't know what to do. But I want to draw your attention to this. When, Mo when the people complain or when they voice their need, before Moses even intercedes, God acts. God's first words are, see, I am raining down for you bread from heaven. Again, before they even pray, God responds to their cry for help. God is not one who accuses the people of complaining. I don't even know where Moses got that from. Moses' entire speech about how their complaint is against, you know, not just him, but against the Lord, that is a fabrication. Moses made it up. God never says that in this passage. Rather, God responds to the needs of the people without hesitation, without guilt, and without accusation. Do not confuse Moses for God. How often are we afraid to voice our needs to God because we imagine that God will respond like Moses did or, or perhaps like some other authority figure in our life has responded to us? We ask ourselves, well, will God gaslight us? Will God minimize our needs? Will God tell us that, they, that what we're praying for isn't really a need to begin with? Or will God accuse us of complaining? Will God reprimand us? But that's not who God is. Jesus says, Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? Or if a child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus knows when the people of Israel feared for their lives when they cried out. Jesus knows that they're not being ungrateful, that they need help. And Jesus knows that God responds to people. And not that God responds to God's people. God responds to people. Period. This is why Jesus instructs us to pray, give us the bread we need now. Because the God who cares for creation cares for us and attends to us. He's concerned for our needs. I think some would see Israel having crossed the Red Sea and, and that they would accuse them of being ungrateful. They would say, God just delivered you from, from evil Egypt and now you're complaining? And perhaps that's what Moses thought, but they're wrong. They may have crossed the Red Sea, but now they're starving and they're in the wilderness and they need help. God does not accuse them of being ungrateful. God attends to them. This message is a call to listen to your own body, to your own experience, and to your own histories, and to dare to speak honestly with God, without fear of being called ungrateful. God may have done amazing things for you, but that doesn't mean that you don't have real needs now. You may be overwhelmed with joy from, from the feeling of salvation that you have, that you have found through Jesus. But that doesn't mean that you might not be struggling to feed your family or that you're not afraid to go outside because somebody might attack you or harass you. 
You may be struggling because of all the microaggressions you experience at work that make you feel out of place and that grind you down day after day until you can't take it anymore. Those are real needs. Those are needs that I think we can bring to God. Give us today what we need. God is not a gaslighting God, nor does God minimize our struggles. Rather, God actually invites our struggles into his very person. For some, this may be a challenge because we've been wrongly taught that to pray for ourselves is selfish, but it's not. There's really nothing else I could say about that. It's not selfish. God, who is our mother, who is our father in heaven, does not accuse us, does not gaslight us, but cares for us. And so we pray, give us today what we need today.